the cloud and our podcast your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud on Out podcast. My name is Andreas. And my name is Michael. We are brothers and freelancers focusing 100% on Amazon Web Services. We do technical coaching, for example, for teams that start their journey with AWS, and infrastructure bootstrapping, typically based on our infrastructure as code templates for our clients worldwide. And every other week, we discuss a topic related to AWS in this podcast. One of us prepares the topic, which is not known to the other one. And that's why I don't have a clue what we will talk about today and have to ask Michael's, Michael, what, which subject do you have prepared for this episode? Yes, Andrea. So today we are going to talk about a new service that is um, general available since uh, the end of September. And the service name or the service is uh, named TimeStream. So have you ever heard about TimeStream? I I remember an announcement at reInvent, I guess, uh, about TimeStream. And all I know is this is a time series database. And I have an idea why you have picked that topic, Michael. <laughs> yeah, so that's right, Andreas. So um, it there was a, a private um, beta kind of thing where people could sign up and, and some uh, had access to TimeStream since uh, reInvent. And, and now it is um, open to the public uh, and it is also now a production, like it is now allowed to use it in production. So the private beta is not uh, something mm. that you should use in production. And um, yes, I agree. Uh, so I'm kind of, um, or let me put it like that. So I have, I had contact with time series database bases before. Um, and basically my first job after graduation was heavily um, related to time series data. So when I um, started um, with my first job and I was working in the same company then, then you did, but my focus was um, on uh, getting data from an exchange. And this was, um, um, the exchange was called Eurex. So that's the futures and options exchange in, uh, in Germany. And it's also one of the larger exchanges in Europe. So my first job was to get data from those exchanges and pump it into a time series database. And at this time, like in 2011, there was no time stream. So um, we used something else. So it was a proprietary system called KDB Plus from a company called KX Systems. And this is like, I'm not sure if it's still the de facto standard in finance to store financial data, but at this time, this was definitely um, the gold standard of, of, of storing time series data in finance. So basically, whenever um, a buyer and a seller is matched on an exchange, a so-called trade is published by an exchange and the trade contains um, a timestamp, it contains a price, it contains a size, and it contains the financial instrument that was traded. For example, um, at um, maybe 9 p.m. someone or uh, 50 Amazon shares were traded for um, I don't know, 3,373 US dollars, for example. So that's called a trade. So that's one of the informations that the exchange publishes. So that's a little bit different than what most people probably know about stock and uh, future prices. Usually you look at the chart and then you see just price points for every, I don't know, hour or day or something. 
And um, the raw data basically is whenever there's a trade, so whenever two, two parties exchange um, a stock or, or future, then this, this, is a, this is the data that you get basically from the exchanges if you pay them a lot of money, by the way. <laughs> Only then you yeah. get that information. That's right. So, that's, so you can get access to the raw data, um, which is not aggregated. And this is uh, usually expensive, that's right. Um, but the, the nature of the data is that it is by, like, by definition, it is ordered by time because trades happen after another, like in an ordered by time. And, and that's why a time series database is such a good fit. And you mentioned something that is important. There are, I think, two different kinds of time series data uh, types. And one is where we have a constant frequency at which this data appears. So, for example, lots of sensors emit data at a fixed frequency. So, once a second, 100, like every 100 milliseconds, every millisecond, like things that are usually measured in in hertz, like the frequency of data. So that's one kind of, um, I would say, time series data type. And the other is where things are more random. And this is, for example, for stock exchanges, because we don't know upfront when a trade will happen. So it could be there is no trade for a couple of seconds, but it could be there are hundreds of trades within a second. So um, I think those are two different, very different kinds of data. So one where the rate is very predictable, the frequency is predictable. And on the other hand, there is also data where the frequency is totally unpredictable. And there are definitely um, uh, like 10x and 100x uh, spikes in the data. So for example, uh, at certain times in the day, the number of or the volume that is traded on an exchange grows dramatically. So for example, if um, the, uh, the interest rates are changed by a central bank um, or if like a, a big event happens. So um, maybe a company announces some good or bad news, then this will uh, increase the volume that is traded. Okay. Um, but this is not where the story ends. So collecting the data is, and I don't say that it is easy. So collecting the data is actually a challenge because there's a lot of, like the volume is very high. So you have to kind of connect to the data source and then you have to do something with the data and you have to pump it into the time series database. But this is not where um, the story ends, Andreas. Um, so the next step usually is you want to analyze this data because, I mean, storing the data doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't have a look at it. And in my case, I was analyzing the data either for humans or computers that buy and sell financial instruments. And typical questions, and those questions are now a little bit simplified, but I think you get the idea. So for example... What is the latest price of the Amazon share um, on the New York Stock Exchange? So the latest price. So what was last observed, basically? Um, then we also have um, the question, what is the best price of the Amazon share across all marketplaces at the moment? Because the Amazon share is not only traded at the New York Stock Exchange, there are lots of other exchanges and some are not even exchanges, some are more liquidity pools. So that's like offered by banks where they uh, buy and sell stuff outside of an exchange to basically uh, reduce the, the fees they have to pay to the exchange. Um, so that's the, another kind of question. So this is basically give me, give me the latest data point. Um, and another kind of question is, show me uh, Amazon's share prices at a chronology of one minute for today. So basically, this is what you said, the chart where you get one data point per minute, or maybe it's per five minutes or depends on... Um, 
usually how much money you pay them. Um, so that is another question. So show me two days data. And if we like uh, kind of expand this a little bit, then we say, okay, show me Amazon share price um, over the last three years at the daily granularity. So each day you get one data point uh, for the last three years. So those are all questions um, that are asked. And usually this is for displaying data. And then we have a little bit more complex questions. So Michael, so that's basically what you do with those queries that you or the questions that you have is you aggregate the data because you don't look at every data point, each and every trade, but you want to aggregate it somehow to, to get information out of that data. Is that, is that a good summary? Yes. So I think the, the summary is you aggregate the data and you always limit it. Uh, you always limit the, the time span you look at. Mm -hmm. I think those are the two main characteristics of those queries so far. Mm -hmm. um, and now it gets a little bit more complex. So for example, a question could be, is the Amazon share cheap or expensive compared to a basket of other financial instruments in the last month? So for example, you could compare it to um, a basket of Microsoft shares and Apple shares and maybe Oracle shares. And then you can see, okay, is Amazon compared to those cheap or expensive? And then you can buy not only a single share, but you can buy the, the whole basket. And basically you, you, your bet is Amazon will um, go down compared to the others or will go up compared to the others. So that's kind of the, the bet that you can make then. Um, so that's a little bit more complex now. We have a complex uh, like query, I would say. And then we also have questions like, how strong does Amazon, the Amazon share price correlate with the Apple share price, for example, over the last maybe 300 days? Because that's also something that you would like to see, okay, what's the correlation here? Because if there's a strong correlation between two assets, then you have a higher risk if you have both of them in your portfolio. Okay, so that's basically, we, we, you could say, so when, when you're coming from a relational database point of view, you basically you're joining um, different data sets with each other and compare them. Yes, that's right, yeah. So you're not only working with a single time series, now you work with multiple time series, and then it gets a little bit more. Um, usually for the time series database, it gets a little bit more involved. So we already summarized, I think, what the characteristics uh, of those queries are. So we kind of, we don't look at everything. We, we look at a specific time span. So for example, the last day, or we look at the last year, or the last data point. Um, and we also group and aggregate the data. And the cool thing is that a time series database is optimized at exactly those kind of queries. So that's why they are so important. Okay, Michael, but but um, going back to my relational database um, um, example here, so can I do the same thing with a relational database? So basically I can put it into a SQL database and ask the same questions with a SQL query. Is that is that correct? I, I think you could in theory do the same but it turns out that at a like at some point in time like basically depending on the frequency of the data that you collect and the amount of data that you collect it just gets super slow compared to what the time series database can do and also usually a time series database can store the data much more efficient than a relational database could so um And this usually is because of the nature of how a time series database stores the data. Usually this is a columnar data store. So they can do lots of optimizations and also um, compression of data that helps them to reduce the amount of data they store in disk. Uh, and this also then reduces the amount of time you need to read the data from disk. Um, but 
Yeah, so you could most of the queries could be answered by a relational database, but it just is 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 much more easy or it is super easy to to do most of those queries in a time series database because they offer all the functionality out of the box. Hmm. So you don't have to kind of recreate that functionality. Yeah. And and of course they are more specialized on that use case. So they can they have that assumption that all the data has a timestamp, they can do all kinds of optimizations. You you described compression and stuff like that, and maybe also indexing and stuff. Yeah, and and for example, in a time series database, you usually cannot change data, so you can just insert it, but mm -hmm. there's no way to 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 update it and things like this. Okay. So there is a lot of optimizations because of those restrictions that mm -hmm. the database basically defines. Yeah. Okay, so this is basically the same story that we have with other more specialized databases. Instead of using a relational database for everything, you pick a database system that is really optimized for the job to get the most performance and the most efficiency out of that system. So maybe comparable to, I don't know, maybe using Elasticsearch for analytics instead of uh, a relational database or um, what's a good other, so graph database, for example, instead of doing the same thing with a relational database. So it's possible. You can do all those things with a SQL database, but not really efficient and, and simple. Um, so that's, that's probably the, the, the selling point here as well. Yes, you're right. So that's basically one of the missing offerings. That So there was basically no good way to store time series data on AWS, and now we have time streams, so now this gap is, is filled. Mm -hmm. um, so And as you mentioned, you basically pick the data store that matches your requirements, and it is absolutely okay to have more than one in your application. Okay, Michael, so you talked about a scenario that you have used a time series database, and I was always fascinated on what, what you were doing there with um, trading automatically based on the information that you get out of that database. And um, this is really, really cool stuff, a really technical challenge. But um, is there, are there other use cases, popular use cases for time series database compared to um, market data? Yeah, so I, a couple of other use cases that I'm aware of. So one that I worked with and that was not so easy to solve because TimeStream was not available at that time is definitely collecting um, data from what we call IoT devices. So this could be machines, this could be uh, consumer devices, but basically there is something out there in the world and this could be many things basically and they send um, uh, metrics, for example, um, the temperature, or also things like vibration in a factory. So lots of different like uh, sensors can report data and you basically store this in a time series database because again, this is by nature a time series data. So at a certain time, you observe a certain uh, value for a sensor and then you store this uh, in the time series database. And also very naturally, this data will, uh, will like by definition, it will be ordered by time and it will be emitted um and at 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 a um at a certain rate uh, over time so um it, it is like the central the central component of all those values is the timestamp and then you associate specific measurements to that um so for example temperature um so that's one use case um i think that's at least what i understand so that could be like a really big use case for time stream and it it really nicely integrates into the iot offering from aws so the whole ingestion problem um, can be solved by the IoT service itself. So you don't really have to care about that because uh, you can invoke a IoT rule and then you can push to time stream directly. So that's pretty nice and nicely integrated as well. 
So another use case that AWS presents on their website is um, DevOps kind of questions. Um, I'm not sure if that really is such a big use case because we have CloudWatch already. Mm. Um, so um, if you look at a more fine granular perspective than one second, then you probably need time stream, but I'm not sure if that's done by lots of people. So, But that's one possibility um, as well. So I think those are the major use cases. Uh, I'm not sure. So they also use uh, some other use cases on their marketing pages, but I'm not sure if that's really a big mm. thing. Um, yeah. Cool stuff, Michael. Yeah, so that's that sounds very interesting. And I remember that that we tried multiple times to build uh, something like a times time series database with DynamoDB. There are some tricks that you can do, but it it really is a lot of work and doesn't really work that well at the end. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm happy to hear that we now have the option with uh, Amazon TimeStream. Um, Michael, can you maybe explain a little bit to me how does TimeStream work? So how how can I use it? How can I ingest data and how can I analyze data with with TimeStream? Yeah. So um, let me start by like describing TimeStream in in like in a couple of words. So it is a fully managed service with zero operational overhead. So what does this mean? It's kind of a um, on-demand DynamoDB. So there is nothing to provision up front. Um, you just create the database and then you create tables and then you can use them. And you can, like in theory, ingest as much data as you like and you can make as many queries as you wish. Um, so that's kind of the um, the big idea of TimeStream. So it is a serverless offering. There's nothing to provision and you only pay when you use it. So that's also pretty nice. So there is no hourly fee uh, um, um, for time stream. So it's everything is um, paper use. Um, the cool thing is that time stream is designed in a way that it auto scales um, both the ingestion and the processing layer independently. So if you, for example, have uh, lots of sensors out there that ingest data, but you have only like a query once in a while, that's mm. totally fine. So they will uh, auto scale the ingestion layer and your query analytics layer will be pretty small. And if you then at one point in time uh, increase the number of queries you run, they will just scale up um, the query processing layer. Um, and what also is nice that all those three components like the ingestion of data, storing of data and analyzing of data is and priced independently. So you pay for the ingestion of data, you pay for the storage of the data, and you pay for the data that is analyzed. So basically, um, like with, um, you, I think you can compare it to CloudWatch logs. Like if you run a query, you pay for basically per data amount that is processed by the system. So, so CloudWatch log, it logs inside. That's the that's the yeah. service that uses that same mechanism. Or also yeah. Athena, I think you also Athena. pay per yeah. gigabytes processed. Yeah. So the processed data, you pay for that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next thing that we have to understand is that TimeStream is kind of divided into two um, areas where your data live. And the first area where data is ingested into is the in-memory um, uh, area. And in-memory doesn't mean that your data is only stored in-memory and if things go wrong, you lose all your data. So that's not the case. The data is also stored in a durable way if you ingest it. So if the systems accept your data, it will not be lost um, if a server goes down, for example. But the data is uh, in-memory, which means queries to that data will be super fast. And then you can configure after what uh, time span or time frame this data rolls over into the, uh, I would say, on-disk area of time stream. And at the moment, 
The only offering is um, magnetic disks. And for example, you can define that after one day, your in-memory data rolls over to on-disk data stores. And then again, you can configure how long it is on disk. So after how many days or years you want to delete it completely. So those are the uh, two areas. And you always ingest into the in-memory area, which also means that if you, for example, roll your data into the on-disk area after one day, you cannot ingest data that is older than one day because you can only ingest into the in-memory area and within the in-memory area, it will be ordered correctly. If you, uh, like... For example, emit uh, late data, but you cannot emit something that's two days old because two days old data already is uh, on disk. So that's um, one of the, um, again, restrictions of the system or constraints of the system. So in my case, when I worked at um, with the financial data, we had something similar. So we kept the intraday data in memory and every night we rolled this over uh, to, the, to disk um, and so that's kind of the same model. So I, I also like find lots of architectural decisions kind of seem to be the same as for those systems that are around for quite some time. And is there a limit for the in-memory part or do I just pay more for the data that I store in there? So you pay per gigabyte uh, of in-memory data um, um, and I'm not aware of a limit. Maybe we can check the quota section later, but I, mm -hmm. I went through the quotas and I, I wasn't able to find anything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, so we can, so we we can check that later. To pay but I don't, for it, so that's probably why we yeah. want to uh, move it to, yes. um, to, to a storage layer. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we talk about the, the prices maybe, so what, what, what are the costs? Okay, the memory store is priced at um, 3.6 US dollar cents per uh, gigabyte per hour. Um, and if you compare it, for example, with the magnetic um, storage price, um, the, the price for magnetic store is $3 cents um, per gigabyte per month, so not per hour. So it is significantly more expensive to store things in memory. But I mean, that's not only time stream, that's kind of how, how the whole like, economics work. Um, so that's okay. Um, what we also have to pay for is the rights and you pay for 1 million rights you pay $50 cents and uh, this is kind of similar to DynamoDB uh, the rights are measured in 1 kilobyte increments so if you write something that's bigger than 1 kilobyte then you have to pay twice for the right or 3 times or 4 times um, so, but I guess like for stock prices uh, 1 kilobyte is, is enough um, to, to, um, to write everything that you need And then we pay for the query and the query is basically charged at one US dollar cent per gigabyte scanned uh, of the query. And so those are kind of the, the prices that you uh, have to take into account. And one of the critiques of TimeStream is that it can get pretty expensive. So if you have a use case, you definitely should make uh, or do the calculation and, and, and predict somehow how much it will cost you over time. Um, so I, I expect that the, the prices might be lowered in the future because for large systems, it gets really super expensive. Mm. Um, um, so I'm not sure if that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but, but there will yeah. be discounts for, for high volume. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe something like um, reserving capacity. So that's so typically, they, often they start those services with you have on-demand pricing, um, but then you can also have um, capacity reservations and then you get uh, uh, yeah, a big discount on, on, the, on the usage. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you're right. And I think that, I mean, it's, it's a very new service. So I, I think they just have to 
look at how, how customers will use it and then they will make the changes. And um, mm. also keep in mind that TimeStream is not available in a lot of regions at the moment. Mm. So I think it's only available uh, in Ireland and it is like in the in Europe and in the US it's only in um, in Northern Virginia and uh, Ohio and Oregon. So if you're using one of the other regions, then there is no time stream at the moment. Mm -hmm. So you definitely have to be careful uh, when selecting time stream at the moment. Okay, Michael, I have another question, some more technical point of view. So how do I access the data in time stream? Is there a REST API or do I have to connect with something like a JDBC uh, database connection thing? How does that work? Yeah, so basically both options are available. Um, so I use the REST API, like the the normal AWS API, where there are SDKs and CLI and everything. Mm -hmm. And there are two different APIs, one for writing and one for querying. And, and then you can just ingest your data in, and it's like it's a bulk write API, so um, it is designed to uh, support high volumes. Mm -hmm. um, there's also um, a JDBC way of connecting it. I haven't used that, but it is available um, basically to allow um, the, like, analytics tools mm. to connect to to time stream as well and um, there's also nice integrations into quickside and and all kinds of offerings are already available so mm -hmm. um yeah if, if you really want to connect this to something that you already have check out the integrations um, and and you might be um you might find um that it is already supported because i was really impressed by the number of things that already integrate with time stream mm -hmm. but that's unusual for a new service it's, it's over 10 different um, services and, and products that already integrate with TimeStream. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so by the way, we need to mention that. So there's a blog post um, and you will also find links to, to the, the things that we discuss here in the show notes to this podcast episode. So yeah, check that out if you're uh, looking for uh, some of the links that we talk about right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one last thing that I want to mention. Um, so, so far I already mentioned that data is stored uh, on magnetic disks. And you might think, oh my God, that's pretty slow. Um, so I don't actually think that this is a big problem because the nature of a time series database is that it reads data in a sequential way, which is a very good fit for a magnetic disk. Um, mm -hmm. So they usually have, um, they are very good at sequential reads. They are not very good at random reads. So this is where an SSD shines. Mm -hmm. um, but AWS announced that they will support SSD soon. It's already on the pricing page, for example, but it's mentioned that it's coming soon. So I expect that we will see um, SSDs uh, soon but I'm actually not sure if that really improves your uh, workloads that much because for example the system that we used in 2011 it was also using magnetic disks and they were pretty fast because they are good at reading um, uh, sequential mm. um, data okay Andreas so now I think we understand what time stream is it's super easy to use um, you pay per, um, pay per, uh, per use model and um, it scales on demand. Um, now um, I want to go into the details a little bit about the concept. So how do I use it? Um, and the first thing that you do is you create a database. So that's actually pretty easy. It's just a name. And within a database, you create tables. So for example, I named my database um, US um, stocks and my table was called um, trades, for example. Um, and the trades table also, the table also is just a name, but you also specify here um, the data retention policy. So this defines when is data rolled from in-memory uh, to um, the on-disk storage layer and how long do you keep the data um, on disk. So this is configured on a per table basis, which is also pretty cool because, for example, you might want to keep 
some of your like sensor measurements longer than others uh, and, and, and things like this. Um, so within a table, the data is organized in so-called time series. And this is one of the like entities that are not created actually by you. So you cannot create a time series. So this is all created on the fly while you ingest data. And the time series is identified by so-called dimensions. And dimensions is, for example, in my case, I used a dimension called symbol, and this could then be Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, for example, to identify the stock. But you can have multiple dimensions attached to a measurement. So if you go to the DevOps case, for example, we report EC2 instance metrics. One dimension could be the region, one could be the availability zone, one could be the instance ID, one could be the operating system. And I mean, you can basically think of whatever you like, and then you can query based on dimension. So what's the average utilization over Windows machines? What's the average utilization in a specific ASAT? What's the utilization in a region? And so on and so forth. So dimensions are basically the things that you can use in your work clauses of your queries to kind of narrow down um, the data set. And it makes sense to not only use the instance ID, but also like add some more metadata. So for example, um, for the stock, I might could use a dimension um, that uh, specifies the index or maybe the um, the segment the company is in or things like this. And then I can query, like give me uh, the data based on this um, dimension. So so far we have time series identified by dimensions. So within a time series, we will find um, what I would call a row is called a record in time stream. And a record has a timestamp and one or many measures. So that's, I think, the important thing to understand here is we have the timestamp and then we have measures attached to this timestamp. So for example, the stock price that I used was a measure, but also the size of the trade was a measure. So I had, like when a trade happened, I ingested two measures into the system, one for the price and one for the size. Um, one uh, kind of uh, um, um, fall, or one, one, one problem that I run into, so one pitfall, so that was the word I was searching for, um, it is impossible to store two records with the same timestamp in a time series. And the same, like this, like I, I said, it is impossible to store two records with the same timestamp in a time series. So keep in mind that a time series is identified by dimensions. So in my case, this means for a single stock, for example, Apple, it's, it, it wasn't possible for me to store two trades at the same time. So that's not possible. And, and that's a problem for my use case because it is actually possible that two trades happen at exactly the same time. So And this heavily depends on if you get trades with a millisecond timestamp or nanosecond timestamp. If you get them with a millisecond timestamp, then you will definitely see lots of trades at the exact same time. And so I was running into issues. Um, but this is something you have to keep in mind. And um, what's the so what what is what is um, Amazon Timestream using as the timestamp? So is it nanoseconds or milliseconds, or can you configure that? Or um, yes, you can configure that, and it, it like it, it supports nanosecond precision. Mm -hmm. um, so you can um, have um, you can attach a nanosecond timestamp when you ingest data, um, and and that's what I kind of did. So my workaround was that if I like was importing a trade at the same time, I was not, I was not interesting at millisecond um, mm. granularity. I was using microseconds. So I just used the last three digits mm -hmm. and, and counted them, like increased mm -hmm. the count by one for each trade that happened at the same mm. uh, time. But, but this is like a special case of, because my trades can actually happen at every, like this is, there's no fixed frequency uh, for trades. And um, so that's why I was running into this issue. But it's just something that I noticed that, At the beginning, I was a little bit 
um, or I was just I wasn't expecting this and I know that other time series database have this limitation as well I was not used to this limitation because the system the KDB plus database I used before there was no unique constraint on the timestamp so you can have as many data points as you wish um, using the same timestamp um, but yeah that's just like something that you have to keep in mind so I already mentioned that there are a bunch of integrations available to help you with ingestion and the analytics part so for example you can connect Grafana directly to TimeStream, which means you can have visualized data and it basically makes queries to TimeStream in the background. So that's, I think, one of the cool features. Um, but you can also use the so-called TimeStream query language, which is um, a SQL-based language, to query your data um, and do whatever you like to do. So that was um, the option that I choose chosen. So I did some queries and I did some experiments. And it definitely takes some time to get used to how it works. Um, but um, I mean, that's, I think, always the case with new technology. Okay, Andreas. Um, so I mentioned that I did some queries and also ingested some financial data. Um, I have created a video for our um, CloudNode Plus subscribers where I basically walk through those steps. So how can I ingest data using the API? And how can I analyze data using the TimeStream query language with a couple of examples? So if our listeners are interested in more details, um, check out our new CloudNode Plus um, offering where we uh, offer uh, a weekly video um, that goes into details about and all kinds of AWS topics. And this time I demonstrate how you can ingest and analyze stock prices with TimeStream. So definitely check that out if you're interested in time series databases. Um, so that's it, Andreas. Um, I don't know if you have any other questions. Um, if not, I could end uh, with a summary. Yeah, Michael, this was very interesting. So um, highly appreciate it. And um, yeah, go with your summary. Okay, so the first thing that, um, or basically my first impression is that I'm pretty impressed by the simplicity of TimeStream. Um, so the system that I worked with, with before was definitely harder to operate and it was definitely much harder to use. So a couple of features that I want to highlight here so that I um, like enjoyed um, definitely or that I was like very happy about. Um, so this is just like a random list of things that I really like about TimeStream basically. It's not ordered in any way. So the first thing that I noticed what I really like is that I can run a single query and this query can go over data in memory and on disk. So basically with a single query, you can analyze the pretty hot data in memory and also the colder data on disk. And it just works. And that's pretty cool because TimeStream merges the two data sources together. So you basically don't notice that it's two data sources. And this was not like with the system with KDB Plus, that's not the case. So you make a query against your, um, your intraday system and you make a query against your historical system and you have to merge the data together. And merging the data together sounds easier than it is. Um, so this can be a very tough challenge. Um, the, the other feature that I like is that TimeStream infers the data schema ba based on the data that, that, that I ingest. So this means I don't have to create any schema. I just ingest my data. And when I ingest the data, I specify the type of the data that I use. So by using this information, TimeStream will create um, the schema for TimeStream for me, um, which is also pretty handy. Um, what I also like about the architecture is that uh, TimeStream can scale the ingestion, storage, and data processing layer independently. And I think that makes a lot of sense because, uh, um, for example, um, you might ingest data 24-7, but um, uh, analytics workloads only run during business hours, for example, because the analysts are not uh, working during night. 
The other thing that I, I really like, and I, I always like this about AWS services, is that if I only have to pay for what I use and there are no hourly fees. So, and I think those are the, the coolest services because you can really, I mean, TimeStream is handy for like serious stuff, yeah. But for example, I have, um, um, I created like with an uh, ESP32, like a little system to water my plants. Um, and, and what I can now do is, for example, just like as a hobby project, which is not serious, it's just like, playing around i can use time stream to store uh, the temperature and humidity things like this and i can just keep it in time stream and i can do some analytics and uh, and that's pretty cool because it's basically i mean it, it will cost pretty much nothing if i just store my one sensor measure per minute thing <laughs> in it um but it's still um pretty cool because there is no hourly fee that that kind of uh, makes such use cases um, um yeah not very uh compelling <laughs> and Last but not least, Andreas, you might not believe it, but there is CloudFormation support for creating databases and tables from day one. Wow. So that's pretty cool. I was very impressed. <laughs> Can't believe um, that. <laughs> cool stuff. Um, yeah. So basically, um, I can uh, only imagine how much effort it was for Amazon to create Amazon TimeStream. Because one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that in, in early 2015, um, Andreas and I, um, we started a software as a service business. Uh, and it was called Time Series Guru. And as the name implies, our offering um, was a Time Series database as a service, and it was hosted on AWS. Um, <laughs> it was based on the KDB Plus technology. And it was a lot of work to get the system up and running and offer um, something to our customers. But in the end, and the technology was super expensive, so licenses and costs were pretty high. So it, it never really... Uh, was a good offer for any uh, for anyone, so that's why we closed down uh, the service after one year, mm. and then we focused on on other things, uh, consulting and, and Marbot. But it definitely was a lot of fun, yeah. and it it was very early, so it was in 2015. There was no time stream database on AWS yet. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you might remember the, this time as well, Andreas. Yeah. Um, so 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 looking at that <laughs> from now, so I'm I'm happy that we <laughs> didn't go into that much further because now with time stream we probably blown out of market right <laughs> so um maybe yeah. good that we chose another um topic for for our software as a service business that's right Andreas. but i mean marble there's also the aws chat but and we are still not out of business so that's, that's um, i think that there can be different offers and 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 if you shine at, at maybe um developer experience you, you can still compete with aws i agree um but yeah um okay. Thank you very much, Michael. This was very interesting. Um, thanks for unboxing Amazon Timestream for me. Um, highly appreciate it. And I hope that we will see um, an in-depth review of the service maybe in a few weeks or months. Um, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Yeah. I was actually, while doing the like the, the introduction, I also like run into a couple of uh, issues. I, I, I mentioned one with the timestamps. But yeah, there, there, is, um, there is definitely something that we can use in the review and we can go into much more details in, in a lot of areas. Um, so a review definitely is something that I also am looking forward to. Um, so yeah, you will definitely see something like this in the future. Cool. So yeah, thank you very much for listening to this podcast episode. Um, please, please um, leave a review in Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps us a lot to get the word out about our uh, podcast uh, to the world. And um, yeah, we will be back in two weeks. Bye. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye.